living in a state of denial means you are living in a state of self-sabotage. And until you decide to own what's happening for you, you will stay stuck. Hey, hey, Emily Abadi here. What's going on, hurdlers? You are listening to another episode of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode of Hurdle Moment, I am chatting with Mina B. She is a self-care and mental health educator, among many other things. A writer, a founder, a speaker, a therapist. Oh my goodness, the list goes on. She's got over 10 years of critical experience and a passion for mental health and social justice that shines over on her Instagram page, which is where I first found Nina. I was so flattered that she was willing to give me some time for today's episode to talk about a really important topic. And that topic is seasonal depression. This is an episode that has been requested by many of you, and I cannot think of a better expert to give us the lowdown on what seasonal depression really is. What are the symptoms and the signs? How do we know if it is depression versus, let's say, something that many of us call the winter blues? What's the best way to go about treating it and what those options entail and how to talk to a family member or a loved one about a struggle that they may be having. Mina also gets really open and honest about her experience with therapy, how she herself first started therapy with the encouragement and love from her friends and family. Plus, she weighs in on the importance of honesty and also the importance of writing things down, how keeping track of your signs, of your symptoms, of what you're going through via journaling can be a super helpful tool within your toolbox. I literally could have talked to her for hours. It's no wonder why she is on the advisory committee for Selena Gomez's media company, Wondermind, as well as the chief behavioral officer over at One and One Life. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on the socials. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I myself am over at Emily Abadi and I'm still hunting your listener questions, so ask me a question and it could be featured in an upcoming episode of 5-Minute Friday. The link to ask me a question, leave me a voice message, is in the show notes. That's it for now. With that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, 
I am chatting with Mina B. She's an author, a speaker, a therapist, a mental health educator. Uh, she sits on uh, the mental health advisory committee for Selena Gomez's media company, Wondermind. And she's also the chief behavioral officer for One and One Life. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm so good. I'm also a little confused. And this is actually going to get us into our conversation today <laughs> because the day that we're recording this, I think it's maybe 62 degrees outside. I was just out there. It's stunning, but it's also February. So what is going on here? Next week, it's going to be like two degrees. <laughs> it's crazy. We are going to get into a conversation today about seasonal affective disorder and how we can cope with that, which as I'm saying here, this weather is a roller coaster within itself. But before we get into the specifics and you give us all the intel, I want to learn a little bit about you. So where do we even begin growing up? Did you have an interest in getting into a line of work where you would be helping people in the capacity that you are now? I did. Um, growing up, I wanted to help people, but in different mediums. So I wouldn't necessarily say I always knew from childhood I wanted to be a therapist. But for me, helping people looks like I remember I wanted to be a teacher at one point. I remember I wanted to get into the fashion industry at one point. Um, so there were a lot of different things that I wanted to do. It really wasn't until undergrad <laughs> that I realized that social work was the direction I wanted to go in. Um, for undergrad, I did study business management and I had a sociologist professor who was a social worker. And her class was amazing. The things that she shared in her class was amazing. And I think that experience is what really led me to decide I wanted to get into this field. Okay. Okay. Wow. So having someone that was really, you know, influential for you was kind of the catalyst for you to do that inner inquisition as to what you wanted to do and how you wanted to help people. Absolutely. Growing up, I did struggle with my own mental health issues. I struggled with anxiety and depression. Now, I didn't know that as a child, of course. <laughs> it wasn't until I started going to therapy myself that I started to learn language to really understand what mental health was and understand different diagnoses and different things like that. Um, but when I was an undergrad, I think because I had that sociologist professor who was able to speak to mental health and also include that sociologist um, lens, that is what really helped me realize how impactful this field was. And that is when I decided that I would most likely go on to grad school to pursue social work. And that's exactly what I did. And if you don't mind sharing, was there a specific incident that influenced you to finally try out therapy for yourself? I think what started to happen for me, so I was 22 when I started therapy for the first time. And it was this slow progression of me engaging in a lot of toxic behaviors as well as self-sabotage. And it was getting to a point where my friends, as well as my mother and people who were in my life were noticing a shift in my behavior. And they honestly were calling me out for it. Um, and I was very defensive for quite some time until I realized I'm not happy. And it makes sense that the people around me are noticing a change in my behavior because I, I just wasn't happy at all. So I think that was the catalyst to make me realize I probably need some support that my friends and my family can't give me. 
And so that is when I decided that maybe I'll take this leap and and see a therapist. And I'm really, really happy that I did that because I had a lot of trauma that clearly wasn't resolved. I didn't know how to resolve it on my own. And I realized the way I was coping was maladaptive. It was not helping me grow as a person. It was just keeping me stuck in my pain. And my coping skills is what my family and friends were calling out. Like, you're doing this and you're doing that. And it doesn't fit who you are. And I think going to therapy is what really helped me to, like, again, process my trauma, but also develop healthier coping mechanisms that allowed me to grow um, and evolve the way I desire to. How did it feel for you when they first started, as you put it, calling you out for the behavior? Did you act defensive? Oh, most likely. Most likely. Especially younger me, my attitude at that age. (laughs) Um, Most likely got defensive. I definitely can call myself out um, and say I had a very bad attitude when I was a young person. (laughs) Um, And so you couldn't tell me anything and I would go from zero to 60. I would shut down. Um, I would get a little verbally aggressive and verbally combative. So I do know that the people in my life, we were very, very close. So there were times where I had to really process and reflect and say like, you know, this isn't some friend that I just met last week or someone who barely knows me. This is like my childhood friend who has watched me grow and who has watched me deal with some traumas in my life. So if she's calling me out and then my mom is calling me out and this person is calling me out, I do value their opinion. So after, you know, throwing a tantrum, (laughs) I then had to sit and self-reflect and really think about who these people are to me and the fact that I do value their opinion. Um, And I can also self-reflect and recognize that, like I said before, I wasn't happy. So maybe my behaviors are translating in a way that are unhealthy and I'm just not noticing it. And so to answer your question, yes, I definitely was (laughs) that person who would go from zero to 60. And that has taken a lot of healing as well to learn how to throw less tantrums as an adult. But I'm very happy that they had the willingness to sit with me and be patient with me. Um, through my different emotions. Yeah. I mean, it's so impressive that you had that level of awareness to say, as you so eloquently put it, like, these are people that have been in my life for some time. This isn't a new friend who doesn't really know me. These are people that know me to my core. Would you say in your work that that concern can be a reason why people don't speak to those that they care about, about the potential for going to therapy, the concern that they may not take it well, they may not react well to that heightened level of awareness? Yes. I think that hinders a lot of relationships and that hinders honesty um, in a lot of relationships. A lot of people are scared to speak the truth to their friends and to their family because they don't want to deal with the repercussions of it because most people don't want to hear the truth. And I think that, um, you know, it's difficult when you also are dealing with someone who has a history of maybe being defensive and has a history of lashing out. And so you already are aware of some patterns this person has. So it's like, do I want to trigger them? Do I want to go there with them where last time someone said something to them, this is how they reacted. So it can definitely be hard. Um, 
And I always encourage people to say like, you know, it is a hard thing to process. And the truth is sometimes very hard to manage and to take in. And it's okay to tell the truth, but you might have to also recognize that people may not want to hear the truth. Right. And so you did your role as a friend of speaking up and saying, hey, I really want to sit with this and explore with you what's happening, because these are some things that I'm noticing. I have some concerns and they may not receive it well, but at least you can say I spoke up. And regardless of how they take it, that's their journey. It's up to them to decide when they want to face reality and when they want to make a change in their life, because that's what truth does. It opens our eyes to the things that need to be fixed, that need to be healed, that need to be changed. And some of us just aren't ready to do that. But regardless of it, being able to still be a supportive friend or family member, even partner, does require you to be honest in your relationships. And when you are honest, it's just about owning and recognizing that people are still going to make the choices they want to make for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So powerful. And also uh, reflecting back on you noticing that you weren't happy. And I even think that that sentence there, I wasn't happy, that is something that's even really hard for us to admit to ourselves, right? Because we may want one thing, but that might not always be the reality. So doing that honest inner audit about how do I feel right now, sometimes coming to terms with that is even harder than hearing it from others. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. I think for me, the benefit was I was always a very intuitive person. And I I'm, I consider myself an empath, so I feel very deeply, whether it's my emotions or someone else's emotions. Same. And yeah, you know, and so because I was always in tune with my emotions, I noticed the ebb and flow of the different things that I would feel. Um, and it was it was e- kind of easy for me to own and recognize that there are certain things I want in life and what direction am I going in? I always had like a very hell-bent, driven attitude toward life. There are things that I want and I'm going to go after it. And so I do feel like my my benefit is that I always had the ability to reflect and ask myself, well, if this is the thing you want, are you taking the actionable steps to get there? Um, And I know I was young at the time, but because I have that way of thinking, that kind of helped me realize you are playing a role in your unhappiness because you're not getting the help that you need. And you think you're coping. But like I said, when you do these things and you engage in these behaviors and you partake in these activities, how do you feel after? You might have like that short-term dopamine hit But long term, how are you flourishing? How are you growing? And how are you getting closer to the life you say you deserve to have or you want to have? Um, And so I'm grateful that I always had that ability to reflect that deeply at such a young age. Um, And I do think being able to really sit with ourselves and process those things allows us to get a little unstuck because a lot of us have a hard time owning that sometimes we are self-sabotaging. And sometimes we are engaging in self-harm and it's us that's really getting in the way of us being happy and doing better and having the things we want out of life. But until we own that and sit with it, we're going to stay stuck in whatever it is we're feeling. And for me, it was misery. So if I wanted to be happy, if I wanted to experience joy, I knew I needed to do something different. And that different thing was I needed to talk to someone because I was carrying years 
of pain. Like I was 22 and I started dealing with my childhood trauma since I was like seven, eight years old. And it was a continued thing of trauma that I dealt with from teenage years up until young adulthood. So I had a lot of baggage. I had a lot of burdens on my back and I really needed an opportunity to just put them down and sort through them and grieve. For someone who is hesitant on seeking out therapy, to seeking out this conversation and they say something like, well, I can just talk to my friends about it. What do you tell them? Well, the first thing I always say is your friend is not a therapist. I feel like we have to remind people that being a therapist is an occupation, right? And so if you break your ankle, are you going to call your friend and say, hey, can you come, you know, put a, put a brace on my ankle, perform surgery on me? No, you're going to go to a doctor because that's an actual profession, And that is a professional who is equipped and has the knowledge and the skill set to be able to help you with your wounds. It's the same thing as a therapist. A therapist is a job. It is a profession. Um, And so working with a therapist is not the same thing as working with your friend who has biases because they love you. They may not be able to tell you the truth. They also may not have the skill set to listen to you talk and say, you know, those the things you're sharing with me kind of sounds like some depressive symptoms. The things you're sharing with me kind of sounds like some unresolved trauma. That experience you talked about sounds very traumatic. I wonder if what you're dealing with is PTSD. Your friends may not have the insight to say, you know, right right now you're um, polarizing. You're dealing with polarizing thinking, right? They don't know the language and not saying that you have the jargon is what's healing you, but it's the knowledge around certain behaviors, signs and symptoms that really helps us process with our clients what's happening for them. So I often do have to remind people Like I said, like a therapist is an occupation and they have the skill set, the training and also the confidentiality piece, I think, is important Um, because your friend, as much as you want your friend to keep information private, your friends are not bound by confidentiality. Right. And so you don't want to ever end up in a situation where you're sharing something with a friend and you find out your business was spread, you know, amongst the family or amongst other people. But most importantly, I think what happens too. A lot of people think their friends can be their therapists and they get very angry and disappointed when their friend is unequipped to help them. And so you're going to someone saying, I need advice about this thing and you're walking away feeling frustrated. But your friend is not equipped. They don't have the skills. They don't have the knowledge to help you in that particular area of your life. And I think that's often the core thing I have to remind people because you're getting upset and angry with a friend for literally not having the skill set and the knowledge to help you when there are actual professions, professionals who are equipped and skilled to help you with this thing. So instead of burning out our friendships and instead of creating animosity and being angry with our friends for being unequipped, it's important for us to go to the people who are equipped. Because like I said, it's like calling up your friend and being angry that they don't know how to perform surgery on you. Is that really, is that, is that fair? Of course (laughs) it's not, you know? So why do we do it in the capacity of mental health? You know, so I do think that's that's just the stuff that I try to tell people to really help them understand that it's nice to go to your friend every now and then for a check in in between sessions. I'm talking to my friend and updating them about my life or just sharing tips and tricks with my friends just to get guidance and advice. 
But the professional help you need needs to come from a professional. I can speak for me personally. I'd be curious about you. For me, before I sought out therapy for the first time, two things kept me from doing so. One was obviously getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. So my comfort level, it was easier to talk to a friend. And it was also free to talk to a friend. So these two massive hurdles to access or perhaps walking in the door were the thing that for so long prevented me from doing so. Yes. And I think that for me to speak on my end, um, you know, as a black woman, mental health is not something that's often talked about in my community. And if it is talked about, it's this thing of, well, you're being lazy when you say you're dealing with depression. It's just that you're not willing to go further. Or what is anxiety? Like everyone is scared of something. And so you just got to deal with it and get over it. Like there's no such thing as debilitating anxiety, you know? So for me growing up in my household, I think my parents were more so um, ignorant to the full scheme of what mental health was. So I never necessarily heard them play into stigma as in you're lazy or you're this or use those particular terms, but they did see mental health particularly as a drug abuse issue or a homelessness issue. Outside of those two things, what's mental health? Like what? You're depressed? What the heck is depression? Like what what does that mean? (laughs) Right? And so for me, um, I think what also helped me get to the point where I saw a licensed therapist was because in high school, um, I just remember one day having like a mental breakdown in school and I was crying and I was just going through so much and someone brought me to the guidance counselor. And I started seeing my guidance counselor every single week. So although that was not a therapist, that was my first experience in something that felt similar to the therapeutic process because I had someone to talk to who was a stranger. It wasn't a friend. It wasn't a family member. It was this woman who was like, I'm here to listen to whatever it is you're going through. And she gave me the space to cry. She didn't tell me to stop crying. She didn't call me a crybaby. And those were some of the things I used to hear at that age when I was struggling. So to have this woman who was so compassionate toward me, that was my first experience to, oh, this is what therapy must feel like. And I was only 16 at the time. So, you know, as I graduated and things just continued to progress for me, I didn't have access to my guidance counselor anymore. And that's when I realized Therapy is is the answer. And I'm very happy that I didn't allow the concerns of what other people would think of me if I said I have a therapist. I, I knew that people would have an opinion, but I at that age too, with my attitude, I didn't care <laughs> about their opinion. <laughs> so I I was brave enough to say, like, this is something I'm willing to do and own for myself. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Such a beautiful share. Thank you for for doing that. Now, I know we're talking about kind of a a generalization here about going to therapy for the first time, but for the sake of our purposes in this conversation, I'd love to transition and change directions a little bit to talking about seasonal affective disorder or seasonal depression. Now, I know that there are uh, differences between the two. So can we kind of first and foremost flesh out what we're talking about here? 
Yeah, I mean, they're used interchangeably, but basically what it is is dealing with seasonal depression. It's seasonal. So most people who deal with depression, they may be familiar with major depressive disorder where every single day, regardless of the season, regardless of the changes in the weather, I feel down, I feel sad, I feel fatigued, I struggle with day-to-day life, I struggle with chores, I struggle with daily hygiene, because those are the signs and symptoms of major depressive disorder. But seasonal depression, as well as seasonal affective disorder, is a particular seasonal thing. So seasonal depression often comes up in communities where the climates get colder. So we're on the East Coast. So New York is definitely one of those places where seasonal depression um, exists for a lot of people. A lot of the reasons why is when we have daylight savings, losing a lot of sunlight and the vitamin D and all the uh, nutrients and the different things that we get from sunlight, that a decrease in that now can create a chemical imbalance. We're no longer getting the vitamin D that we need. And then the winter, right, keeps us stuck inside a bit. People are not as social or desire to be social. We desire it. And then when we open our door and it's like 20 degrees, you know what? Let me just cancel right now. I desire like a bowl of pasta and sweatpants. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So the key difference here is understanding that seasonal depression can happen more so in the fall or winter months and seasonal affective disorder can actually happen more so in the summer um, and spring months. And the difference now too with the summer and spring months is This is a time where a lot of milestones happen. So in the spring, summer, people are graduating college. And so it's like, what am I doing next with my life? And that can bring up a sense of sadness and depression around this time as well, because we're coming out of the winter, preparing for the summer can also bring up a lot of emotions. In our society, for example, the whole idea of having a summer body, right? Think body image issues come up for a lot of people. And also that back to school season. So you have this very short window of time to yourself, time to engage, time to have fun in the sun or do the things that you need to do. And then that transition right back into school can also bring up a lot of depressive symptoms for some people. So those would be the differences between the two. But the key, but the key thing between the two is that seasonal aspect versus compared to someone who is dealing with major depressive disorder, it doesn't matter what the season is. It could be hot, it could be cold, it could be spring, fall. They always tend to have this state of depression. Yeah. And oftentimes people may say, well, I just have the the winter blues right now. Like it's going to pass, right? So how do you know if this is something that you should actually be concerned about or maybe speak to someone about versus like it being a passing feeling? So that is a good thing that you just said. A passing feeling is the key thing I always tell people to pay attention to. Symptoms and severity are important because if you are saying it's the winter, it's really cold outside, and today I'm feeling super tired, I'm dealing with insomnia, and my energy is low. But out of the winter months between November and February, that only happens once or twice for you, then it is probably a passing emotion where today just was hard, maybe because today was much colder compared to yesterday, or this week was much colder compared to last week. I find that my appetite has changed, or I find that my desire to engage or be social is different. But if you find that your symptoms, number one, are progressing. So it started off with me, I'm tired today. 
The next thing I know, my energy is constantly low. The next thing I know, I'm feeling really sad and I just find myself having moments where I'm just crying. And I don't even know why I'm crying. I also find myself having like mood swings. So one minute I feel okay, one minute I'm feeling down. I'm noticing that my appetite is decreasing. Those are symptoms, right? And so you want to pay attention to your symptoms because if you just have one or two symptoms, you're just dealing with life like a regular person would, right? But if your symptoms are continuously increasing, that is something that I would pay attention to. And it's also the severity of it. So what I mean with the severity is now that I listed all of the symptoms, how often are you experiencing these symptoms? Because if, if again, between the months of like October or February, if you're experiencing these symptoms once or twice, again, you might just be human. You are human. You're just dealing with the effects of the winter because it's cold. But if you find that maybe four to five times a week, this is an issue for me. Four to five times a week, I'm not eating. Four to five times a week, I'm in a chronic state of sadness. Four to five times a week, I'm noticing that my mood is different. I'm irritable, or maybe I'm just dealing with chronic anxiety. That is a sign that maybe there are some bodily changes happening for you, especially for people who one of the things we have to remember about seasonal depression is the holidays. And so it's not just the season that can be triggering for you. It could be last year I lost a loved one and now I have to sit here and prep for Thanksgiving and this person isn't going to be at the dinner table. I just got divorced after 10 years and it's Christmas. And now I have to figure out what Christmas is going to look like for me and my children. So it's also important to remember societal changes as well as personal stressors that can impact feelings of depression. It may not just be the season. It could be the season on top of dealing with life stressors that are really hard to manage. So that is what I would encourage people to be thinking about. So is this really just a passing feeling or is it chronic? And is it becoming so chronic that it's now becoming debilitating for me to do day-to-day things to help me thrive? And what I'm hearing you say also is the importance of keeping track or writing things down. Is that right? Yes. I definitely think for people who um, live in certain climates where seasonal depression or even seasonal affective disorder, if you know that you're about to go through a big transition and emotions are coming up for you, I definitely think tracking your mood can be important. I always tell people, because people have a really hard time tracking their mood. And the reason why I say that is because I think we're so disconnected from emotions and feelings because I'll say, hey, how are you today? And people were like, I'm good. And I know that's like a generalized thing, but good is not a feeling. So if you're waking up every day and saying, let me check in with myself. I feel okay. I feel good. What does that mean? Right? Because there are people who struggle with depression. There are people who have suicidal thoughts who, when you ask them, how are they? They say, I'm good. And so a better way to measure your emotions would be to say on a scale of one to 10, one being my worst, 10 being my best. Let me be honest with myself. Where do I fall within that spectrum? And if I'm, if every single day I'm under a five, that's going to show me, even though I may not know how to name the feeling, being under a five every day kind of shows me something's wrong here. Because if 10 is me being at my best, why is it that for the last month, I've only been a three? 
right? And so even like I said, even though you may struggle with saying, I feel sad, I feel hopeless, I feel, I just feel something so difficult, being able to measure your feelings allows you to have a clearer understanding of where do I fall on the feeling spectrum? I also encourage people to Google something called the feelings wheel. Um, or the emotion wheel so that it can show you the different kinds of emotions we have so that you can have language for it. Because a lot of us, I think our vocabulary lacks when it comes to being able to define our emotional state. So that's another thing that I would encourage people to do to match their number on a scale of one to 10 with a feeling from the feelings wheel. So many helpful tips here that the numbers can really, really make a big difference. And I went through a period of time where at the end of my journal entries in the morning, I would make a point to write down a highlight from the past 24 hours. And similarly, if I had a difficult time writing down a highlight, that was indicative to me that I wasn't present in my day to day. I couldn't even find something super small to be like, I loved the sun outside yesterday. And in those moments, it was like, okay, let's stop. Let's do some inventory here. Where are you and why are you not where your feet are? Right. And I think that can be super, super helpful to really just take inventory and to do some processing. And it it does require reflecting. And so I like that you said a 24-hour period. That's a very short amount of time, right? It's just today or yesterday. And if I'm really having a hard time figuring out what a highlight was or figuring out a moment? Am I being mindful throughout the day? Am I allowing myself to be present with what's happening around me? Maybe I need to focus on, well, if I can't find a highlight, what were the things that got in the way of me feeling good? What are the things that got in the way of me being able to say, I'm grateful for this thing that happened yesterday? Because then maybe that also shows you where you need to erect some boundaries in your life. You know, if I'm consistently exposed to things that are just making me feel terrible and I can't find a highlight, what are some shifts that I need to make so that I can have more access to joy? Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Future. Future is a new way to get fully customized personal training that revolves around you. No matter what gets you moving, you'll find the guidance, the motivation, and accountability you need to push beyond your comfort zone. Future has all of the benefits of a one-on-one personal training without the one-hour time limit or a strict schedule. Whether you need tips for sleeping well the night before a race or nutrition advice after setting a new deadlift PR, your coach is ready to create a competitive edge wherever and whenever you're focused on fitness. And it all happens right through the Future app with the tools you need to plan your workouts, measure progress, and celebrate milestones. I am hooked on Future. I'm currently doing a four workouts with my Future coach each week. And I'm really starting to see some progress, which makes me feel all sorts of giddy and really strong. Shout out to my coach, Brandon. You are the real MVP. Now start your 30-day risk-free trial of Future today. Just head on over to tryfuture.com slash hurdle. That's tryfuture.com slash hurdle for a free month of training. You can cancel at any time. Personal training made modern only on Future. Also, thank you so much to my sponsor at Element. Element is a delicious electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. It replaces vital electrolytes without sugars and other dodgy ingredients found in conventional sport drinks. 
Available in a wide range of flavors from citrus and raspberry and orange salt to mango, chili, and chocolate salt, which makes the most ideal hot chocolate. Trust me on this one. There is a sweet, salty sip for every palate. I love drinking an element after my morning workout. It gives me exactly the boost I need to confidently head in to the rest of my day. Now, of course, Element has a deal for you. Head on over to drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack with your purchase. Again, that is drinklement.com, drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack with your purchase. All right, let's get back to it. what we're talking about here, uh, this reflecting, and then again with the different scales that we spoke about, this is reiterating the importance of honesty. So for someone who may be having trouble being honest with themselves, what advice do you offer to them? Mm, this is a good question. I think a lot of us struggle with being honest with ourselves. And, Amen. You know, yeah, <laughs> we do. And I, I guess first I'll say that to normalize it. Right. Because um, I think sometimes we see people on a particular wellness journey and we want to be where they are and we don't realize what they had to go through to get to where they are. And they went through moments of denial themselves to finally be able to step into their truth and own what's happening for them. And I think it's important to realize that if we are not honest with ourselves, we are hindering our ability to grow. You know, because if you are pretending and you are faking it till you make it, you will consistently burn yourself out and be drained because the truth opens your eyes to the things that need to be healed. And if you choose not to open your eyes to that thing, you're going to be doing all of these things and all these exercises and practices that really don't benefit you because it's not tackling the real issue. So I just remind people the benefit of honesty. And how do you, I always ask reflection questions. What are you gaining by lying to yourself? And you might say, well, you know, it keeps me safe and it keeps me protected. And, and, and now you need to do some reflecting and ask yourself, how has keeping you safe and protected allow, protecting yourself in this particular way, allowing you to flourish in life? How is that allowing you to flourish in your career? How is it allowing you to flourish in your partnerships? How is it allowing you to flourish in your friendships if you are staying silent about what you're going through and not admitting that this is where I am in this current season and it's okay. Also remember that truth in itself ebbs and flows, right? So the truth of what I'm experiencing now is it could look different tomorrow. You know, I think we struggle as a society with nuanced thinking. So we also hide from the truth because we assume if I feel this way, this is my life. This defines my morality. This is what forever is going to look like. And that's black and white thinking. Life is either good or bad, right or wrong. And if I feel this thing, I'm never going to get out of it. And I think we have to give ourselves permission to think a little deeper um, and expand the way we see life and how growth 
um, in the way you think and see yourself is a part of healing. And your truth is going to change because how I feel about myself and the way maybe my thoughts, my beliefs and values, that can change over time. So I think it's just really important to recognize that living in a state of denial means you are living in a state of self-sabotage. And until you decide to own what's happening for you, you will stay stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's going back to that question. How do you want to feel and what do you need to do to get to that place? And honestly, more often than not, the things that you're going to have to do to get there are going to be uncomfortable. It is. We have to teach ourselves that we have the power to move through discomfort. Um, Discomfort is not always as scary as we make it seem to be. And I think when we own that, you know, on the other side of discomfort is the life that I know I deserve and it's the life that I want, then there are some actionable steps that I need to take to get there. Definitely. Definitely. So to go back to our conversation on seasonal depression, you so helpfully articulated a lot of the symptoms of it for someone who can say for certain, okay, I, you know what? I think this is what's going on here. What are they to do? What's the next step in treating that seasonal depression? Okay. So I'll start on the top level, right? Now, if this is something that's super, super severe and it's to the point where your depression is keeping you in a chronic state of sadness, there's a lot coming up for you emotionally, I would encourage maybe you want to talk to someone. Um, and the reason why I say that too is because I think people go into therapy with this mindset that this is forever. And you can have a short-term therapist. You know, you can work with someone for a few months and say, this is what I'm dealing with. I need an outlet. I need some emotional support. And right now I'm just dealing with seasonal depression and I need a therapist who can help me get through these difficult months. So that's the higher level form of support that I would encourage people to engage in. But there are some other things that you can do outside of therapy. The first thing I encourage people to do is really schedule pre-care. What is pre-care? We all know what self-care is. It means doing this work of caring for ourselves. I'm going to go to the spa. I'm going to do all of these things that plays a role in my, nourishing my well-being. But pre-care means planning. It means planning in advance because I know in a few weeks, the weather is dropping. So maybe I'm paying attention more to the weather outlet and I'm seeing it's Monday, Saturday, it's going to be a really cold day. And not only is it on Saturday, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be by myself. So maybe there's a possibility I might start to feel a bit of dep depressed. I might start to feel depressed. I might start to feel sad. Pre-care means what can I do for myself on Saturday? Is there a social component? Is there a friend's house I can go to? Is there a social activity I can engage in? Or how can I make my home environment healthy for me? Are there things in my home environment? Maybe I'm going to say, you know what? There's this movie I've really been wanting to watch. I'm going to wait for Saturday so that I have something to do that day. So that is what pre-care looks like. It literally means planning in advance because I always tell people, stop letting life happen to you. Stop waking up and saying, I feel sad. I feel all these different things and I'm just going to wait for something to happen to me. We do have to take actionable steps to get to the place we're trying to be. But this is why I also shared that high level support, because some of us really struggle if our depression is so debilitating, taking that actionable step can be difficult. And I think that's when you might have to pull in a professional form of support. 
Another thing I encourage people to do is find different ways that you can be practicing self-care that is realistic to your day-to-day. So some people feel like self-care is going to the spa. Are you going to the spa every day? Doubt it. So when we think of self-care, I always ask people to think of self-nourishment. What am I doing to nourish myself on a daily basis? I encourage people to develop a morning routine where you're asking yourself on a scale of one to 10, how am I feeling when I woke up today? Because also when you deal with seasonal depression, you might have sleep issues. So how did I wake up feeling? And if I woke up feeling less than a five, what are some actionable things that I might need to do today to insert pockets of nourishment and joy? Right. And so that's something that I truly encourage people to do. And the last thing I'd add is journaling. And I think writing out your thoughts and writing out your feelings can be important. It can help you um, release the different feelings that feel heavy. But there are also different theme based journalings people can engage in. And the number one theme I encourage people to, to utilize is gratitude journaling. And there's a practice called the three good things. And the three good things literally just means writing down three good things that happened today and why you felt they were good. Our brains throughout the day, studies show that 80% of our thoughts are negative. So we already have a barrier when it comes to having gratitude because our brains are wired to see a lot of things through a negative lens. So the three good things practice requires us to be very intentional about reflecting on our day, processing our day, because it's easy to say this went wrong and this happened and it annoyed me and this happened and it made me angry. But what made you happy? Are you taking the time to reflect on that? Or are you making room and giving more space to the things that you didn't like? Right. And so you have to ask yourself, where are you putting your power? And so when it comes to the three good things practice, it really just helps people recognize that my depression um, isn't defining my life because good things are still happening to me. My brain is trying to trick me into believing that life is sad right now, life is hard right now. But this actually was a moment that reminded me I'm alive. And this is actually a moment that reminded me that I feel good in my skin or that I feel beautiful or that I know I'm loved and supported or that this is a particular thing I enjoy doing in life. So that is another skill and practice that I really encourage people um, who are dealing with seasonal depression, um, you know, to engage in. And I will add lastly, too, there are particular lamps that you can put in your house that gives you that uh, it kind of mimics the rays that come from the sun. And that can be very, very helpful to have. Yes. I feel like they're like happy, happy light therapy lamps and boxes. Yeah. (laughs) Happy lamps. I remember at one of my first ever like corporate jobs out of college, one of the things that the company did was like one day we all walked in and we had some random like happy lamp on our desk. And I was like, oh, is this how we're making all the employees like feel better today? Like, is this, <laughs> is this the secret? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's more time off. Maybe we don't need a happy lamp, but you know, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> it can to be each very, right. It can be very helpful. I remember working a job one day where I had an office that had no windows. So yeah, imagine being outside. It's sunny. It's nice outside. And you go into this dark box. So I had to get myself a happy lamp, you know, because that's another thing we can't 
always have control over our environment. And people who are dealing with seasonal depression do maybe, I know right now in the current climate we're in, there is a lot of remote work, but there are still people who are getting up and going to an office. So imagine having a windowless office, right? Like literally just staring at walls all day. So having some sense of nature, you know, having a lamp, having um, aromatherapy, having certain things to help your environment can also help you dealing with your depression as well. This is reminding me of a conversation that I had with Neka Agumake, and she was talking about when she was experiencing depression. And for her, she likened it kind of to this scenario, being in a room that's dark, the shades are drawn, you know there's sun outside, but you are incapable of opening the shade, of drawing the blinds. And so if you have the opportunity to use these different tools that you have really highlighted for us here, Mina, then that is your opportunity to get to a place where maybe it feels a little easier to draw those shades, to open those blinds. Right. And I want to say too, to to that measuring progress, I think where people mess up is they want healing to be this grand thing. And for some people, If I can't get out of my bed and walk to the window and open a shade, the fact that I even made attempt to stand up, that's my progress for today. That is one of my three good things. That was the first good thing. So I think it's important to remember those micro moments that happen without the day that shows us we're moving closer to healing. And I think for people dealing with more debilitating depression, think of the small micro moments that you can create. You're putting the pressure on yourself to wake up and cook yourself breakfast and take a shower and do all these things that you know is extremely hard for you. It could be today I woke up and I splashed water on my face and that was enough. And then maybe by next week, I'll have the ability to jump in the shower and brush my teeth and do the things that I know I need to do. But right now, I have to start small with what my energy is allowing me to do. And that's progress. So I just wanted to add that because I think we measure success in a way that um, is unrealistic to where we are in our current state. Yeah, for sure. And I would be remiss uh, if we didn't at least touch on the topic of medication. I know that this is something that often individuals reach out to me asking about uh, because I have been open with my experience personally of uh, going on medication for depression. For someone who is curious about this, uh, what do you have to say to them? I definitely would say reach out to a psychiatrist, the person who is trained, the person who is the professional, and the person who most likely is going to be administering the medication. Reaching out to a psychiatrist does not mean that you're asking for the medication. Do a consultation with them. Let them know this is what I'm feeling. These are the effects that I'm having and learn more about what the medication process looks like. You know, so I think that can just be important because I I do know that some people are very hesitant. They're very scared going on medication. For some people, it's long term and that's fine. And for some people, it's short term and that's also fine. Right. But I think if you are curious and you really want to weigh your options, you want to know what medications are best for you. You want to know how long it might require for you to be on medication. The best person to ask um, to have that conversation with is a psychiatrist. I know we live in a day and age of wellness blogs and Google, but I do encourage if you are seeking medication to try to step away from it's okay to do your research and come to a psychiatrist with the things you read online. 
and say, these are some things that I've learned about, but don't let articles scare you from the process of medication. I do think talking to a professional always helps relieve us of the stress or anxiety that we have about starting something new that we're not familiar with. Definitely. And knowing that just because you read one article or listened to one podcast and heard about one person's experience does not mean that that experience could mimic your own and that we are each individual. So praising, of course, the benefit of seeking out a qualified expert to help you on your journey. There is seriously nothing more important. Exactly. You know, someone else's experience with medication is not going to be your experience. Our bodies react to things differently, which is why having a consultation with a medical professional um, and having that person in your life, because you might try a a medication and it may not work for you and you have that outlet there for you to try a different one. And that's another thing I'll say too. Sometimes you might try a medicine and that particular medication may not work. It doesn't mean you don't need medication or that medication is bad. It's just that particular prescription didn't work for you and it's okay to try something new. So I would add that as well. And I think that that point applies to a lot of the different pieces of advice that you've offered here today relevant to both seasonal depression and then of course seeking out a therapist and so on and so forth. There are going to be opportunities for you to try different things and then you have the opportunity to pivot and be honest with yourself about how these things are working for you, knowing that there is another way. There's always a different thing that you can do to help you on your journey because that's the goal, right? The goal is to get to feel how you want to feel and being open to the fact that that path to get to your destination certainly is highly unlikely going to be linear. Absolutely. It is nothing in life is linear, (laughs) you know, especially when we're talking about healing. Um, so human behavior in itself is not linear, right? Life experiences are not linear. So I do think that's the key thing to understanding and allowing shifts and allowing the ebbing and flowing of life to just happen. Um, and if you have to pivot, you pivot. That's a part of the journey and that's okay. Yeah. I love that saying, be okay with changing the plan. So Mina, as we wrap up here today, is there any stone we have left unturned when it comes to this topic? Is there anything else that you want to offer us when it comes to, let's say both treating seasonal depression and also perhaps seeking out uh, the help that you may need to move forward on your journey through talk therapy? Yeah, I think lastly is just having a plan. Like I said, when you are dealing with seasonal depression, um, especially for people who do realize it is specifically seasonal, I always think planning and making room for um, just really creating routines can be very, very beneficial. But lastly, when it comes to seeking help, I always like to remind people when you are seeking help from a therapist, you don't have to go with the first person that you find. You are allowed to shop around. Give yourself about three or four options, do three to four consultations with each person and take a step back to say which one really fit my needs best and and how did I feel during that consultation with this person. And if you move forward with them and you realize after maybe two to three sessions, we're not clicking, it's okay to end therapy and find someone else. So be okay with pivoting in the therapeutic process as well until you find a great fit because going to therapy and finding a therapist is similar to dating. Are you going to marry the first person you ever go on a date with? Most likely not, <laughs> right? You go, we date a few people before 
Corey, to help. And that dating process also helps us understand more about ourselves. What do I like? What are my needs are? This person did something to me, did something that made me realize, oh, you know what? I feel like that's a red flag that doesn't make me feel comfortable, right? And so think of it as a dating experience. You're going to go through a few people before you find the one. And that's what finding a therapist is all about. Definitely. And just one last thing to touch on here. You mentioned routine and we talked about how self-care can look different for everyone. I can speak on my experience that self-care for me is literally my morning routine and it's nothing crazy fancy, but I know that if I take the time to do a few small things in the morning for myself, then not only can I show up better for myself as the day goes on, but then I'm also a better me for the people that are around. So not only finding what works for you in the scheme of Uh, speaking with a therapist and doing that quote unquote dating, but then also being able to find what works for you in this self-care arena, knowing that you have this opportunity and this work, this word keeps coming up uh, to design what it is that feels right for you in your body and your skin. Yes, I agree 100%. Awesome. Well, Mina, I am so happy that we were able to make this happen today. If the hurdlers do not yet follow you, how do they keep up with you? How do they do so? Give us your details. Well, you can first follow me on Instagram. My handle is Mina underscore B and that's M-I-N-A-A underscore B. You can also visit my website, www.minab.com. And on my website, you can find my newsletter titled Mindful with Mina, where I share tips and practices on how to build healthy relationships through mindfulness. And lastly, you can stay tuned for my book that will be launching come this August titled Owning Our Struggles, A Path to Healing and Finding Community in a Broken World. And you can also find details about my book on my website. Wow. That was very well rehearsed and also (laughs) excellently said. Amazing. I will make sure to link to all of these in the show notes. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.